Have you ever had a noise or a smell that brought you back to a previous time? One second you're here, but the next you're reliving some long-forgiven pain, some tragic panic feeling. Phantom pain is a phenomenon known to people who've had limbs amputated, but they continue feeling pain in the amputated limb. Prosthetic limbs help alleviate this pain, and many people report that their pain worsens when they remove their false limb. One theory is that the false limb allows their brain to conceptualize what used to be, and without that, in panic, the nerves and the brain activity increase, and they try to make sense of the loss, and the panic of the nerves causes pain. We all need a story to understand our pain. One way to do this is to create new physical habits. Just as the prosthetic arm helps conceptualize a change, so does a change of a physical habit. From changing when you get up each morning to rearranging your home, physical changes help us represent internal changes. One consequence of us living in a materialist time is that we greatly downplay how much symbolism affects us and how symbolic our normal day really is. Some studies show that 90% of our brain activity is subconscious. Some studies show it's even more than that. That means it's not unreasonable to propose that the route you drove home, the post you scrolled by on Facebook, and what you ate for lunch all contribute to when that song pops in your head. Another way to combat this is new mental habits. Habits cannot be removed, but they can be replaced. As displayed in the book How We Change, what we've done becomes what we do, and what we do slowly becomes who we are. Therefore, a small change is extremely difficult because we aren't just changing the habit. We're changing everything we think about ourselves. And there's a window where the old habit feels more genuine than the new habit, where an old, destructive, bad habit feels like that's who we really are. And that new habit, that's for those other happy, well-off people. A mental habit I've had to start recently is to go every week to Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a place where you can bring all of the things that are going on in your head and voice them in a way that will not be judged and will not be just purely commiserated. It is just a safe place where you're in a room of people that are actually honest. Every person there is there to work on their own issues. And the camaraderie I felt from that, the warmth and the safety and the stability that that has given me has been such a blessing over these last few weeks. I started to become a rageaholic. I was starting to notice that I was losing my temper and I was saying a bunch of things I didn't mean to my wife and we were caught in this loop of isolating and then sort of putting the other one on a pedestal and then after that one small thing, one wrong move would cause me to blow up on her. So just having a place where I can voice the things going on in my head has been a huge blessing to my sanity. There's an old recovery quote, my mind is a bad neighborhood, I never go there alone. Number three, don't make misery your identity. Miserable comfort zones are usually a reaction to when we have a fear that we feel cannot be answered. So we create a shrine to the pain of our fear because then at least there's a place where our pain matters. But eventually that shrine becomes a prison. Name your hurt. Conceptually separate yourself from it and kill it. It's been reported that Winston Churchill, perhaps the most important figure in World War II, had a great interest in butterflies. 
although that seems pointless, perhaps his ability to admire small things, to have interest in small things, was essential to everything that he was able to withstand. Cynicism drains us of an ability to feel anything other than negative assumptions about ourselves, the future, everyone else, and mockery of those that seem to be happy. Finding new things to be enthusiastic about and developing an ability to actually experience it is key to leaving the vomit of our past. As Dennis Prager once said, if you're bored, you're probably just boring. The final thing I want to talk about is new forgiveness. As our past continually is brought up in our head, as the things we've done, the things that others have done to us, continually are reminded to us. Scripture says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Scripture itself was fully aware that we would have to do this over and over again. So if you find yourself brought up and hung up on past hurts that are long forgiven, that you are not alone. Maybe you need to forgive someone else. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Usually when I hear people say that, I think, you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to stop giving yourself a pass. But this kind of thinking gives into a different kind of wrong. Recently, I felt almost addicted to feeling guilty. At every turn, the devil just tries to make me feel guilty so that I'll have no energy, no optimism, and no hope. A few years ago when I was suicidal, one of the things that brought me there was that I felt like I was holding God up, that I was holding Him on my shoulders. The people around me all talked about grace, but it didn't seem like they really had any. And I knew the grace thing could be taken too far. But shame can also be taken too far. Too much shame suggests that it is your world to fix, and we all just live in it. Even the phrase, forgive yourself, plays into the idea that this is my world, and you're all just here for my amusement. In reality, even the longest life is short, and even the most important people die. If I died today, most people would click this sad reaction on Facebook, and life would go on. I'm not the central character of this story. The biggest epiphany I had when I was suicidal was the idea that I was a bit player in all of this, and that allowed me to enjoy the goodness of life and God for the first time. I grew up in church, and at the time I believed my dad was a pastor, but I never knew the kindness of God. I never really felt gratitude to him, because I never really let him give me anything. The existence of good and evil does not originate from me in any way. I didn't create it, and I can't destroy it. From my birth to my death, the only things of true meaning are the things that are not particular to me. That doesn't mean that my uniqueness can't have meaning, but it means it only does if it is used to facilitate something true. Once you have guardrails and accountability in place, kindness toward yourself is not flattery. It is an acknowledgement of your smallness, a writing of your perspective. You aren't the central character, and the one who is still loves you. If he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you believed God is supposed to make things right in this world, and as a result, he must have forgotten you. 
Maybe you're going through an extremely painful time, and it seems like if he were real, that wouldn't have happened. I don't want to speak for him, and if any of what I'm about to say is not useful to you, then by all means, throw it out. But I believe God works like a compass, not like a movie director. I don't believe he sets up every scene of our lives and shoots them over and over again until we get the actions right. I believe he works like a compass, and that by listening to our conscience, he reveals true north to us, that as we walk through this chaotic, painful, tragic world filled with rape and murder and death, that in every situation, regardless of how big or small, how painful or how comfortable, he will guide us to what true north is. Rather than thinking God is that who makes everything good in the world, I believe God is where good comes from. Everywhere there is good, there's a drop of his nature, in every person, in every good thing. In all of life, we do only two things, search for God or distract ourselves from the fear that we can't find him. In some ways, my life truly began when I became suicidal, because there were things about me, self-destructive things, that broke for the first time. Before that, I was just trying to run and run and run and outrun everyone else. But for the first time, I let my image break. I let everything I thought it was, better and worse, just fall away, because I was too close to death. I was too close to dying. I did not have time for illusions anymore. And for the first time, I actually let God love me. As Emily Barrett Browning once said, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush burns with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. One day I won't be here anymore. One day none of us will. But there is a good that will live on beyond us, and our life can be useful to give it to others. I love you guys.